What up, fuckers? It's Andy of the One Up Pod. You just found me departing on a noble quest to destroy the One Ring. I'm on my own because no one wanted to help me, in case you were wondering. But that's fine. It's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I actually think it's quite nice that they assume I don't need any help. That's how I'm choosing to frame this anyway. This certain-to-be epic and awards-worthy quest has me thinking about the Lord of the Rings franchise. Now, saying the word franchise there has probably made Tolkien's zombie spin wildly in his grave, but it is what it is. The series... is that a better term? It has a lacklustre showing in the video game world compared to other genre blockbusters like Star Wars or Marvel Comics. The Lord of the Rings banner boasts a comparatively lean 30 games, not including mobile games, whereas I counted roughly 110 games based on Star Wars, not counting exclusively mobile releases or educational titles. Including those would have expanded that much further. Two of the more high-profile Lord of the Rings related releases in recent memory are Middle-earth, Shadow of Mordor, and Lord of the Rings, Gollum. Middle-earth, Shadow of Mordor, henceforth only referred to as Shadow of Mordor, was released in 2014 by Warner Brothers Games and Monolith Studios for the PlayStation 4, Windows PC, and Xbox One. It was also released on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 as albeit more simplified ports. We will be focusing on the full fat versions for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Lord of the Rings Gollum was released in 2023 by Daedalic Entertainment on the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Windows PC, and Xbox Series X slash S. Both had the honour of being the first Lord of the Rings game to be released on their respective console generations, but which one is better? You probably already know, but join me anyway as I venture far from the comforts of the Shire into a big, uncertain, far taller world for one up Pod's video game deathmatch, Shadow of Mordor, versus Lord of the Rings Gollum. This road is apparently the quickest way to get to the docks, where I'm meeting a totally trustworthy smuggler who can sneak me into Mordor. He offered a money-back guarantee that he won't slit my throat and throw me in a ditch. And you really can't argue with that, especially on my budget. Gandalf told me to stay off the road if I'm going to insist on doing this plan. But what he doesn't realise is that I'm a lazy bastard who cannot improvise worth a shit. So let's just stick with what we know for now. As always, we will be splitting this discussion into five different categories. This time those categories will be art design, presentation, story, gameplay, and a final mystery round that I will reveal later. I felt like I needed to create some sort of artificial tension here, so withholding some important information until later might be the key to doing that. It's probably going to take a while to walk to a fucking volcano, so this will keep me busy for a while. One more step and this will be the furthest I've ever been from home. So long, you fucking shithole. <sighs> and there we are. Off on my unexpected journey. Round 1. Art Design. Ah, a nice long and mostly straight road. Just the way I like it. This gives me time to talk about some video games, 
and not have to worry about accidentally walking into Farmer Maggot's field and peeing all over his prize-winning marrows again, which I insisted to him wasn't deliberate. But he just won't fucking listen. He's got a little village mindset, that one. Anyway, I'm moving on. Art design, as we should know by now, encompasses the entire visual language of the game. The art style chosen, the look of the characters, the design of the settings, even the way you draw the grass is going to tell us something about your artistic choices in the game. And while I acknowledge this is a Lord of the Rings episode, so I should probably spend some time talking about grass or twigs, I'm not going to. Maybe I'll do a special edition release one day. I won't, but still. Shadow of Mordor is intended to be set within the same universe as the Peter Jackson movies, so the designs stick pretty close to that theme. In terms of character designs, Talion looks like a multiverse Aragon, Celebrimbor looks like he would play chess with Elrond, and probably flip the board over when he lost. All the villains definitely feel at home with the likes of the Ringwraiths and other assorted nasties. The Hammer of Sauron wears an elaborately crafted armour suit. The Tower of Sauron is like something from Hellraiser. He even wears skinned faces as decorations on his pointy armour. And anyone who saw the extended edition of Return of the King and saw the hideous mouth of Sauron will have a vague idea of what to expect here. The Black Hand of Sauron, the main antagonist in the game, is a little more simplistic in his design. He resembles something of a dark mirror to Talion, which may not be as visually exciting, but it's thematically pretty solid stuff. As far as the endless supply of Uruk grunts that populate this world go, there are a wide range of assets used, put into a range of different combinations, so the randomly generated Uruks have a presence and identity of their own. The assets are sometimes familiar to fans of the movies, but also offer some fun and gruesome twists on some established ideas. There's a range of different interpretations of Uruk on offer, from the facial features, body types, armour, and so on. The building blocks for all of these unique characters work perfectly, and make sense when brought together. The locations are generally pretty basic in this game, a lot of ruins, rocks, and cliff faces, with the occasional spacious fortress dotted around the different regions of the map. You're not getting the sort of elaborate locations seen in Peter Jackson's trilogy. The game is mostly set in locations never used in the movies, so they can generally do whatever they like and not have to worry too much about violating canon. The world itself is pretty boring, I'll be honest, but it's the people and the creatures that populate it that make it come alive. In that regard, Shadow of Mordor's art design does the job. Just a couple of miles away from town now. That's not too bad, really. I can't believe Gandalf told me to walk the long way around. Oh, fuck me, Black Riders. Let's hide behind this giant rock. They're gone for now. Gollum's supporting cast have designs that are somewhat ornate, far too elaborate and just plain showy. Franduil, a character who is described in The Hobbit as wearing a crown of berries and red leaves in autumn and a crown of woodland flowers in spring. In the movies, as played by the dauntingly handsome Lee Pace, has a tasteful arrangement of twigs and leaves as a crown. In this game, 
He has two big fuck-off branches growing out of his head, and a mess of leaves growing all over the place. There is no grace or regality here. He looks like a real sloppy bitch. It's a hideous case of over-design, taking a few notable traits of the character and then exaggerating them. Gandalf, conversely, looks weirdly snappily dressed, over-designed to the point where he looks like he takes time getting dressed in the morning, rather than just throwing on the first robe he sees and brushing some crumbs out of his beard, if he has the time. They really overthought the designs of both of these characters, and in the process completely lost sight of who they are as characters. And then there's Gollum, the star of the show, looking like what happens if you ordered Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring off Wish.com. I can't tell if they tried too hard or not hard enough here. He's your standard pitiful pale crackhead that we've come to expect from Gollum, but he looks soft. His features are rounded and almost gentle. Gollum in Peter Jackson's movies looked like a person who had succumbed to years of degrading addiction, emaciated and sickly and just wretched, a pitiful creature that could bring out a frightening malice when provoked. Gollum in the game does not look like someone who lost their life to obsession, capable of doing anything to get what he wants. He looks like he was designed to be just a weird little guy. And the hair. Oh fucking hell. What the fuck were they thinking here? He's got thinning hair. He spent untold years through his unnaturally long life, falling apart physically because of his proximity to the ring. But in this universe, he's got a thinning bull cut? The designers of this game seemed to completely misunderstand this character. They just wanted to do something that was legally distinct from the other versions of the character, rather than designing something that made fucking sense for the character. The environments fare somewhat better in this game. The cave systems are suitably pointed and dank. The prison where Gollum spends most of his time has some impressively imposing structures, and Mirkwood is lush and green. They have their own identity, but for the most part, they are clinging to a single idea for each biome. Pointy rocks, leaves, and so on. It's serviceable, but it's not exciting. <coughs> oh, fuck me, they found me. No oh, shit, my foot! Fucking hell. Have you ever fallen down a rocky hill before? Whew. My advice is... don't. Okay, they're no doubt looking for a long way to get down here that doesn't involve falling on their fucking faces 20 bastard times, so I'm going to try going through that dark and mysterious cave mouth that I just noticed. So to wrap this section up, neither game's world design inspires or in the way Tolkien's world should do, but Shadow of Mordor is comfortably the better game for character design, so the winner here is Shadow of Mordor. Let's get out of the open before these riders return. Round 2. Presentation. Oh, it's dank. Lovely. So, under normal circumstances, I would avoid doing a presentation category for games of different generations, comparing the visuals and sound and even the UI choices of games nearly two console generations apart would usually be considered grossly unfair, but in this case, it seems a fair fight. Shadow of Mordor was developed when the PS3 was winding down, and yet it still looks a million times better than Gollum. The Uruks that make up much of your game world look detailed and authentic, 
The UI is clear and easy to follow, with the ability to pinpoint specific Uruk captains or war chiefs from miles away, proving to be a superb and helpful design choice. The game world is rendered in an admittedly limited and increasingly samey range of greys, blacks, browns and greens, but this was a symptom of visual design in the 7th console generation and continued to bleed into the 8th. It was a very dreary time, but the graphics had a tangible feeling texture to everything. The thing is, and it'll come up in more detail later, but it really didn't matter how detailed or memorable this world was, it's literally just a sandbox for gameplay mechanics. The fact they made any effort at all to give these assets some sense of history and place is more than enough. The music is evocative and epic as you'd expect from a game sharing cultural DNA with Harold Shaw's iconic movie scar. Who's there? Hmm. No one I guess. So despite being released in 2023, at a point in history where the ninth console generation is firmly established, Lord of the Rings Gollum looks like a PlayStation 3 era game. Not just a PlayStation 3 game, a PlayStation 3 game that would have been roasted on release for looking goddamn terrible. It looks so bad. I cannot comprehend how this game got the go-ahead to release in this state. The textures are uniformly bland, there's no tangibility to any of the characters or the surfaces you encounter, all of the character models are hideously ugly, even when they're not supposed to be. Weirdly, the orcs are the least monstrous looking people in the game. All the men and elves look like they were carved out of old turnips by a half-blind sculptor with the shakes. But the orcs also look terrible, like anonymous generic fantasy monsters. The orcs often feel too alike, there's no unique personalities emerging in their appearance. In the movies, and in Shadow of Mordor, you could get a sense of an orc's whole vibe just from a single glance. They put so much work into creating distinct characters, even if they wouldn't be on screen for long. There will be sections of this game where you're passing through an area, where you'd expect the game to try and make the space appear lived in, a hub teeming with life. We've seen it in many games spanning back to the days of Half-Life. It gives you a space to explore freely, while being drip-fed important information, without locking you into cutscenes. A good game would do this, Gollum can't even get this right. The NPCs you pass are barely animated. They honestly look like statues sometimes. They stand motionless. It's like they all arrived for their first day of work and no one's told them where to go yet. It's so rigid and lifeless. And it's not like they save all the good stuff for important characters. Every character afforded animation in this game is being handed scraps. There is one key NPC you meet early in the game, and he was designed with a massive long beard, but when he speaks, his beard furls up as though it was sculpted to his lower lip and not his chin. Beards do not work like that. You just see this beard flapping around whenever he's talking, and it's incredibly distracting and just so stupid. And then there's Gollum, again, the star of the fucking show, can't even get some quality facial animations for himself. They all look like basic stand-in assets that they might add to scenes until the animators finish their side of things. None of it works and none of it feels convincing, which is a big issue for a game that's expecting you to root for one of literature's most wretched bastards. His movement animations are terrible too, stilted to the point of visual incoherence, once again feeling like an early build that they forgot to polish up. Gollum climbing a ladder made me feel like I was having a seizure trying to comprehend how many frames were missing per movement. And again, I must emphasise Gollum's hair. It's terrible in concept and execution. What the fuck? <sighs> so this leads me to the first of many times I'm going to point this out. Lord of the Rings Gollum shipped for £60. A game this sloppy and dated, and worst of all incomplete looking, has no business asking you for full retail price. 
especially since the publisher has the audacity to ask you to buy bonus emotes for Gollum. They cut out the quote-unquote best animations and package them together to sell back to you. And they're all shite animations, but the best the game had to offer nonetheless. This should be honestly considered criminal to me. Okay, pretty sure someone's behind me. Careful, careful. Who the fuck are you? Don't hurt it. We was only curious. We've never seen any hobbitses in these caves before. You might be a spy for the enemy, but I'm not a hobbit. I'm average height for a man. If you say so. How can I be sure you won't snitch to those black riders if I let you go? I should cut your scrawny throat to be safe. A smither would never spy. Please don't cut our throats. Well, why shouldn't I? We know how ways around these caves. Yes, yes. Smeagol knows all the cracks and crevices. We could help. You could lead me through the caves to Mount Doom. Yes, yes. Okay. I have no reason to believe you, but I'm willing to risk it for the sake of speeding this journey along. Oh, thank you, Master. Thank you. Okay, okay. Stop pawing at my crotch. You're not a fucking dog. The run on head boy. I'll whistle if I need you. Yes, yes, Master. We will scout the head for trouble. We will keep you nice and calm and safe. You are not precious of yours. What was that? Oh, nothing suspicious. Oh, okay. So anyway, let's summarise. Despite being a product of a particularly lazy era, Shadow of Mordor holds up nicely by prioritising characters over world design. Meanwhile, Lord of the Rings Gollum is ugly and outdated and unfinished. One of the most visually incompetent games that I've seen in some time. It borders on unforgivable. The winner is quite obviously Shadow of Mordor. Now I better go ahead and find that weirdo that smells of fish and unwashed ass. Round 3. Story. Well, this is a surprise. You actually got me out of those caves. And at the foot of the mountain. See, I told the hobbit to make sure you were safe. Hey, I'm five foot eight at the very least. Anyway, that's not important. I need you to help me scale this, okay? I've got important business up there. Here, take this piece of chalk. I want you to climb ahead and mark all the rocks that are safe to use for hand or foothold. This is for marking rocks only. I don't want you eating it or crushing it up and using it as talc on your swampy balls, okay? Mark the rocks, safe and sound. Up the hill goes Master Hobbit. I'm... Just go. Fuck off. Nothing bad will happen. I don't know why you felt the need to say that, but okay. So as far as the story in Shadow of Mordor goes, Talion would be a fairly bland protagonist in isolation, but paired with the spirit of Celebrimbor, there's an intriguing central conflict to the character. He's a man of honour motivated by revenge, an inherently dishonourable act, but he's being pushed and encouraged to follow this path by the spirit of Celebrimbor, a raging vortex of pomposity and megalomania, who would see the whole world burn if it meant he could fuck over Sauron. This dynamic plays out more thoroughly in the sequel, but the seeds are planted here quite nicely. You've got a two-pronged narrative here, with Talion's mission for revenge and Celebrimbor's need for revenge on Sauron, for the betrayal he suffered at the Dark Lord's hands. We get a look at how he was deceived and how he played a role in Sauron's rise to power. It's not deep, but there's something there, something to sink your teeth into, narratively and thematically. And that's not even including the micro-narratives that you can create through the Nemesis system. What was that, Master? I'm not talking to you, just keep marking those fucking rocks. 
These micro-narratives can come in many forms. You find yourself making enemies, and the genius of it is it's an entirely organic enemy, unique to you and your game. The head villains are perfectly adequate, grotesque, and well-performed. They do their job, but they're not the enemies you're going to be remembering. You'll remember the enemies you made along the way with the Uruk captains and warchiefs that were generated just for you through the Nemesis system. The supporting cast are solid enough, the highlight of course being Ratbag, the classic two-faced little shit fuckface. He's your introduction to the Nemesis system, so it's nice that his story hinges on the use of it. Fucking... Ah! Oh no, what happened master? Were you too heavy for the Rexes? No, you maxed the wrong fucking rock you alabaster shithead. It's me who'll help you up. Where is it? Where is it? What the fuck? Get off me! Look, I know you've lived in a cave full of goblin shit for like a century, but you need to work on your concept of boundaries, alright? And for the record, you were searching my coat pockets, and my dick is in my trousers. No, no, no. We would never corpse a field. I'm sure I'll take the word of a crackhead in a loincloth any day now. Just get ahead and mark those fucking rocks. Properly this time, okay? Brain made a fucking toilet water, that guy. Right, back to Shadow of Mordor. If there's a broader criticism here, it's that just as you start to get to grips with all the new tools in the game, the main story ends. It's a very brief campaign. Of course, the game opens up after you complete the game, and you can run amok with the Nemesis system and tell your own stories, but there's no denying it's a rather brisk experience as a core campaign. If I were to spin this as a positive, it's that it doesn't get in your way. A summary of Lord of the Rings Gollum's story is quite laughable, really. He keeps getting captured by people, hanging around and doing stuff for his captors, until he befriends somebody who can help him escape. That's it. Several times over, every beat of the story boils down to that sequence of events. And let me tell you, it never gets any more interesting each time. Because it's never interesting. Anyone with the faintest familiarity with this character Maybe expecting there to be a moment where Gollum turns against his friends in a bid for freedom, but no. Nothing as interesting or character-driven as that ever happens. Gollum is given maybe one chance to betray an ally, and it's really early in the game. He mostly just sort of befriends people, and they work together. Gollum is of course famous for his agreeable personality. It's not like he's a manipulator and a traitor, is it? Not that it would mean anything, even if you could betray multiple people because no story decision actually matters. It's so married to the canonical events that whatever Gollum chooses to do, it leads to the same result. They seem to steer away from letting Gollum be Gollum, because that character doesn't really fit the story they're telling, or how they're telling it more accurately. They built a game that depends on AI companions, and Gollum isn't an assertive character. He doesn't give orders and lead the charge. He's a parasite who latches onto stronger people and manipulates and deceives to get his own way. The few strong characters that Gollum gloms onto, they aren't being played, there's no real plotting being done against them. Gollum just really wants to impress them. I keep asking myself why tell this story and why tell it this way? There's nothing here that needed to be told. Nothing that wasn't already explained thoroughly in a few paragraphs from Lord of the Ring Book 2, Chapter 2, or an offhand remark by Gandalf in the first movie. There's literally nothing else needed to understand how Gollum got from The Hobbit to Lord of the Rings. Tolkien, not exactly known for his fucking brevity, covered it already, and even then there wasn't a lot to it. 
Gollum's life in prison is just not a relevant part of the bigger story. The most important stuff Gollum contributes to the story of the One Ring made it into The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings already. Gollum, as written in this game, has no objective. He meanders around waiting for stuff to happen to him through blind faith. When Gollum actually does have an objective as a character, to get the One Ring back from the Bagginses that stole it. That singular drive is the whole reason people suspected Gollum had been released on purpose to track down the ring for them. The writers of this game clearly didn't have any ideas for how to make this stopgap between classic novels feel important, and had no understanding of the character to make this compelling, but they powered through the age-old trick of endless repetition and padding. The winner is Shadow of Mordor. Hey, hey, don't get too far ahead. We found a shortcut. A cave. Leads us right through the mountain. Uh, more caves. We can sneak past the filthy hoaxes this way. Nice and safe. Until you meet. What was that? Twenty meet us. Not far now. Come, hurry, hurry. Okay, but I don't think you know how long a meter is. This looks more like twenty-two meters. We'll see you for the next round. What? Not you. Round four. Gameplay. Well, at least this cave isn't dank. Just incredibly creepy. This way, follows me. I am, for fuck's sake. Okay, so gameplay. It's so often the saving grace of many games. Bad or even dated visuals can be salvaged with some high quality gameplay. The classic games of the past remain classics because they are fun to play. Despite being two generations old now, Shadow of Mordor remains superb fun to play. The combat is a very clear Arkham-like free-flow system. It's not perfect, not nearly as fluid and fast-paced as Batman or even Spider-Man, but the combat has an impact that Marvel's Spider-Man in particular lacks. The swing of a sword may be slower than that of a fist of a superhero, but when it lands, you feel it. Add to that the fact that you can unlock an ability that lets you pop an Uruk's head after performing an unbroken hit streak, and it's really hard to fault the combat in any way. The game unlocks more and more powers as you progress through the story. Eventually you'll have a full range of toys and a wide open sandbox to play with them in. While there is a solid stealth system incorporated into the action here, with satisfyingly brutal and efficient stealth takedowns. Once I hit a certain power level, I would always prefer just to walk into a camp or stronghold and proceed to dare the hordes to fuck around and find out. It's an old game, there are certain things that were frustrating at the time, but have aged even less gracefully, like the terrible companion AI. You'll be trying to do something, like getting intel from an orc that you're fighting, and your ally for that mission will just run in and kill them. Thanks a lot for that dickhead. You're welcome. Not, not you. Oh, you've talked to yourself a lot. I've seen you have full-on arguments with yourself in a puddle of orc vomit, so let's not go there, okay? Bah, rude fat hobbit. Anyway, Shadow of Mordor has hints of that Ubisoft bloat found in many open-world games. I'm not talking unlocking towers to access areas. Even Tears of the Kingdom has that. It's more the overabundance of side jobs to do in each area. I very rarely touch them, especially on repeat players, as I focus on the nemesis missions and story missions, so the side content generally just litters the map. The story missions are pretty average, often quite banal in their structure. You'll have fetch quests, you'll have missions where you have to follow someone around, for no real gain beyond the chance for some story or character progressing dialogue. 
it really didn't need to walk to three different areas to collect herbs. That feels deliberately drawn out, like to delay getting to the payoff. On replays, the length of these missions is very much felt, but they're just vehicles for the gameplay rather than storytelling opportunities. You power through some uninspired campaign quests so you can access new abilities that help you have the most fun possible in this sandbox. And the primary reason to play around in this sandbox is the brilliant, brilliant Nemesis system. So the Nemesis system creates a procedurally generated hierarchy of enemies. You get a screen that details the higher command of Sauron's army in that region. There are 20 captains and 5 warchiefs. Each captain and warchief has their own name and title. They have their own look and personality. They have weaknesses and strengths unique to them. You gain intel from worms, the bottom of the barrel soldiers who are weak-minded enough and easy to control, and this will give you information on your targets, namely their location, how you can hurt them, what won't work, and sometimes what will make them go absolutely insane with rage. You can also find out other information. For instance, some captains have beef with each other, and some will serve the war chiefs as their bodyguards. These are things you can use later in the game. You can pick off his guards and leave him exposed, or later in the game, mind control some loyal captains, or even mind control a new captain and help him rise through the ranks to earn the trust of the war chief. And they'll aid you in killing your enemy and then subsequently replacing them as the war chief. You can basically orchestrate coups. Sometimes Uruks don't die. If you don't kill them hard enough, they come back for revenge. A little different, a bit physically or mentally scarred, maybe even immune to the method you used on them last time because they've studied your moves. The only way to definitively put down one of these guys is, of course, to cut their head off. Now if a regular Uruk kills you in combat, they'll rise into the Nemesis system, if there's an opening. There usually is, and they'll be assigned their own strengths, weaknesses, name, title, and they'll even remember you from their last encounter and remark on it if you face off again. If a captain or warchief kills you, they get stronger. They will lose some weaknesses, so that method you wanted to use to kill them might not work anymore. So you better learn to improvise around an enemy who can counter combat finishes, because that's really fucking annoying. It's such a versatile system, it builds up a world around you, and it enriches the gameplay. It encourages experimentation within the game, and it extends the shelf life of the game far beyond the completion of the campaign. It even finds a way to incentivize defeat, because that means you can gain a new enemy to overcome, or new challenges with an established enemy. It's an incredible system, and it takes a solid sandbox Arkham clone, and it makes it something really special. This remaster, hurry, quick! Okay, I'm coming. What's, what's this? There are, there are bodies everywhere. Oh my god. This is where she feeds, stupid hermit. Why, you treacherous little skank. She will find you. She will stick you. She will eat you all up. And then I will search the bones for the precious. If I get out of here, I am going to punch you right in the dick. Bye bye, hobbit. Oh shit, it's coming. Oh, it's a big fucking spider. Oh fuck. It stung me. Wait, I don't think spiders. Oh, what? What the fuck? 
Oh great, I'm strung up in web. I think I can hear the thing eating an orc or something. Oof. I don't know how much time I've got here, so let's just get on the Lord of the Rings Golem. The gameplay here is, you've probably guessed by now, incompetent garbage. The choice-based system seems to have no bearing on anything in the story or the game world. Opting to be Smeagol over Gollum doesn't seem to alter the game at all. You're still going to do the same shite. There was no reason to include it if it didn't alter the way the game is played. Even the most basic of morality systems in a game will try to make some arbitrary distinctions. Like you get fewer bonuses or you unlock the bad ending. There's no such thing in place for Gollum and the story is so linear in its design that it's basically bolted onto tracks, so nothing can deviate. Instead of a choice-based game, you're getting a linear one that's just lying to you. I guess, in a way, this is the most Gollum-like the game actually gets. Traversal is clumsy, to put it politely. Gollum moves around like a baby deer who has no idea how to use their limbs. It's so incredibly easy to fall off things, and the game seems to change its mind on how high a fall it takes to kill Gollum. Sometimes it's falling off a rampart wall, sometimes it's dropping down a small ledge. There are some arbitrary stamina draining sections just to force things to feel more tense. Zelda Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom did that system properly, making it applicable to everything, rather than just pulling it out at random when you need to make one of the countless tedious wall climbing sections feel more interesting. The level design doesn't help matters either, getting around feels like the video game equivalent of water torture. You have to follow a marker, a, a tiny fucking marker, that offers you no visual clues what it's telling you. Is the target on a higher level, or is it behind you? Good luck working it out, because it's apparently half the fucking challenge in this game. There's no visual indicators to help you work out what parts of the map are explorable, nothing stands out enough for you to memorise routes, and there's no mini-map to expedite these issues. Gollum as a character has a lot of problems, but the one thing he's got that is useful to other characters is a knowledge of his surroundings. Frodo and Sam didn't ask him to tag along with them to Mordor because of his dinner party quality repartee. When you adapt a character into a game, especially a beloved one like this, you need to accentuate their strengths and implement them into the game design. Look at Batman Arkham Asylum. Every component of that game design makes you feel like a detective slash inventor slash ninja warrior. It's a complete immersion in Batman. Gollum never made me feel like Gollum. The closest I got to understanding what it must feel like to become Gollum is just an overall feeling of wretchedness while I was playing it. The game's attempt at helping you navigate these spaces is called Gollum Sense, but this is a laughable concept haphazardly implemented, especially compared to the Wraith Vision in Shadow of Mordor. It's been 16 years since the first Assassin's Creed game popularised this idea, and yet, somehow, in spite of over one and a half decades of refinement and innovation with this mechanic, the developers of Lord of the Rings Gollum didn't know how to do it. It's a temporary flash, this frustratingly brief change of colour palette. In and out of you the second you even think about moving. The guide points are vague wisps, the highlighted enemies are a jarring red. You can't keep track of where people are when you're on the move. It just isn't remotely helpful. What sort of sense only works when you're not fucking moving? And the stealth sucks too. It's ridiculous how often the enemies stop and look for you, and you have no idea what you did wrong. When you do successfully tail them, it feels like luck rather than skill, and the stealth kills are just deeply unsatisfying, prolonged strangulations. Now Gollum loves a good strangling, we all know that, but it doesn't make for an enjoyable time for anyone else. 
big chunk of the gameplay involves you performing numerous chores for your masters. Tasks that don't make any sense as things you'd need to do in a prison, they are purely gamified tasks. Ignoring the fact that I don't think Gollum would even be a productive member of any group, because that argument loops back to my whole issue of this game being designed with a completely different character in mind, if you're trying to immerse the player in the life of a prisoner, make it feel like you're a prisoner. Collecting dog tags from dead prisoners serves no real purpose, it's just a fetch quest. And that's the least aggravating one of the lot. The herding missions probably pissed me off the most. At first you're running around leading the dumbest monster AI imaginable to chase you into these pens, so you can hit a switch and trap them. The problem is the creatures you're herding run in one direction and will not react to any changes. They will not look for you if you evade them, they just stop and stare at a wall. This leaves you ample time to reach the switch to close the gate. This is assuming you don't randomly fall off a ledge while attempting this and die for no reason. Later you will command NPC allies to serve as base. They literally cannot function on their own. They won't react to things, they don't act independently, such as helping you out when you're in trouble, or responding to danger. They just stand there and wait for further instructions. All NPC companion missions run like this. It's generous to even call it AI, because there's nothing remotely intelligent going on here. So the enemy AI sucks, and the NPC AI sucks. At times it's like a tug of war between which set of dipshits is going to win. It's frustratingly poor programming. And the bird breeding minigame, yes you heard that right, is obtuse to the point where it may have been designed by someone who doesn't know how animals work. This section is made all the worse because it introduces the bird companion. So Gollum adopts a bird to assist him. Firstly, Gollum would not raise and nurture a fucking bird. He's singularly obsessed with one thing, the one ring. He would not have the mental bandwidth to raise an adorable bastard baby bird. He would be more liable to eat the fucking thing. The bird can be commanded to perform certain tasks, but the game doesn't make it obvious when this mechanic can be used. The prompts are hard to find. Because they're shoved off to the side, not in a place that's relevant to where the player is looking. None of this helps with the more awkward puzzles, but when you realise you can use this mechanic, the game struggles to implement it in an interesting way. You press a few buttons, and the bird does it. That's it. The bird takes over from there. There's nothing there for the player to do, so it's not even rewarding when you do accomplish it. It's clumsy as fuck, and it's not even interesting to see pay off. Honestly, I can probably go on and on. There's a lot of bad stuff like this in a range of different forms. There's variety on offer, for sure, but if you attend a buffet and it's 27 different varieties of literal dog shit, you're not going to feel like piling up your plate, are you? Oh shit, wait! Plate! Dinner! I just realised I've still got a knife in my pocket that I used to cut up my travel rations. Maybe I can... Break... Got it! Now to start cutting through this webbing. This might take a while. Ow! Fucking hell! Okay, that was faster than I expected. Spiderweb ain't shit. Oh fuck, it's coming for me. And there's only one way in or out, and all I've got is this little knife. Ah, fuck it. Well, what are the odds of that? Right in the fucking brain. So, the winner is Shadow of Mordor. Let's get moving, I think I can see daylight up ahead. Round 5. The Mystery Round.
Well, the backstabbing little dickhead wasn't wrong about this at least. The caves did lead to the summit of Mount Doom. I'll just say now, there is no mystery round. I was the backstabbing little dickhead this time. I honestly don't need more reasons to spell out how fucking terrible Lord of the Rings Gollum is. The winner has been Shadow of Mordor since round 3, so I'm going to use this opportunity to rant about Warner Brothers games patenting the Nemesis system. So patenting a game mechanic is just the scuzziest, late-stage capitalism horseshit ever. You are patenting an idea. You patent a specific code, sure, that's your actual property. But doing this to a concept so no one else can use it, fuck you. Imagine if someone patented levelling up in a video game. You just wiped out the entire RPG genre from existence. You make gaming a less interesting space when you close it off like that. Monolith are obviously a great studio, Shadow of Mordor is evidence of that, but now we're only going to see these Nemesis style games from them. There's no one out there now that can innovate or evolve this style of game, which means there's no one to inspire Monolith to go bigger themselves. That's just leaving the entire concept open to stagnation. And then, after all that, Warner Brothers just didn't do anything with it again. They effectively built a ladder, climbed up it to the next level, and then chopped up the fucking ladder for firewood. Now there are rumours that it will make its return in Monolith's Wonder Woman game, if that ever happens, but see my previous points. We shouldn't have to wait 7 plus years for a new Nemesis-like game, because only one studio can use it, and gaming developing windows are just so fucking massive. It sucks. The winner of this round is nobody. No one wins in scenarios like this. The final verdict. Ooh. So, when I heard the Dark Lord had a chamber within an active volcano, I expected more than a ledge overlooking a sea of lava. But I, I guess that's pretty badass still. So, on the games. Obviously Shadow of Mordor is the winner here, but I could have selected 1987's text adventure game Shadows of Mordor, and it would still trounce Gollum in all categories. Yes, even presentation. I honestly cannot think of a worse game in this series than Lord of the Rings Gollum. I'm having a hard time thinking of a worse game I've played this year. Gollum failed because the gameplay didn't suit the character, and it didn't benefit the story they were telling. Of course, the gameplay and the story are both fucking dog shit in their execution, but I don't think good gameplay or a good story could come from this. It all fell apart because the central philosophy of the game was garbage. I sincerely believe that if the foundation of your idea is bad, everything you build on it is going to fail. They made the critical mistake of trying to extrapolate on an idea that wasn't interesting enough for a really big hardback book to explore. If the novel can find room for a whole chapter on Tom Bastard Bombadil, but doesn't think what Gollum got up to was worth more than a few passing remarks, there isn't a fucking story there. You chose a poor basis for your game, and every design decision that followed was fucked as a result. Shadow of Mordor told a story that suited the game that they wanted to design. It's pretty simple. They thought about what game they wanted to make first, and they built a story that helped deliver that and they had the freedom to do so because they weren't married to canon, which was another smart creative choice in this instance. The gameplay appeared to come first, it could have been a very simple open world Arkham-like, and it would still work, but they elevated it to the next level with the groundbreaking Nemesis system. Lord of the Rings Gollum has been such a catastrophe that it effectively killed the development studio that made it. I don't agree with people losing their jobs because one game sucked ass, but as a critic of sorts, I do need to represent the consumer on matters like this. Normally, I'd feel bad ragging on a mid-budget title, 
and wouldn't ever think of comparing it to a AAA game. But this is another issue. Here is a mid-budget title charging people AAA prices. And worse yet, the game has been charging an extra £10 for the so-called Precious Edition, which comes with an index and elven accurate voice tracks. If you buy the regular edition, you get no codex to explain any of the lore, and you get a less accurate voice track. You are getting an incomplete game, and that game still costs 60 fucking pounds. The consumer deserves to be treated better. Either release a better game, or lower the price point at launch. 60 pound for an incomplete game seems insane. 70 pound for this game feels like fucking robbery. You know a thing or two about that, don't you? Oh, for fuck's sake. Trixie. Nice. Thieving. Fat. Hobbit. Just fuck off. Give it to us. Give it to us. Give us the precious. I'd sooner give a Balrog a blowjob, you pallid taint. Now get off me right next to the earth. I don't believe it. I actually managed to grab the edge with my fingertips. Did it work for me, you fucking hobbits? <laughs> that looked fucking horrifying. I honestly can't believe my luck. I didn't think that happened outside of the movies. Now that I look a little closer... Okay, no, I'm not actually gripping the edge. Each of my fingers has been impaled on a series of tiny jagged rocks. Great. I don't think this situation is particularly sustainable, as my fingers are frustratingly dainty. So I'll do the outro while I can. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support the podcast, give us a follow or subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. While you're there, please leave a review for us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify Mobile, and recommend us to your own fellowship. Check out some of our other content, including our latest series, The Indie Showcase, and our mainline episode all about video game villains. We'll see you around, no doubt, but in the meantime, don't forget to get a life.